much for your usual warm welcome. It's good to be here. And uh, talking of road signs, there was one very unexpected road sign on the way up here today. It got to the bottom of Brassknocker Hill and it said road closed. So, um, yes, I had to obey that one. <laughs> and I, there was no diversion sign immediately. So, but then I remembered to go up by the American Museum and I came up through there. So here we are. Apologies from my wife, Ruth. She's got a bit of a bad throat tonight and didn't want to pass it on to anyone else. Uh, so she, um, she didn't come. But I bought a, well, a friend has come of mine from Trowbridge. It's, it's amazing. Paul, uh, good to see you, Paul. Uh, we, we met at the fellowship this morning and have seen him for quite a while. And uh, I mentioned I was here tonight and here he is. So thanks for, for coming up, Paul. Well, we're talking about the darkness earlier on of, of, of tomorrow, and, and we're reminded of the darkness. We're turning the clocks back, aren't we? Here we are at five o'clock, and it's dark. And uh, I, I, the, the older I get, the less I like winter. I don't know about you, but uh, there we go. I prefer the summer and the nice daylight. We've got one more reading, uh, this time in the New Testament. And thank you for leading the service, brother. That was good, and doing the first reading. Mark 7. Mark chapter 7, and I'm looking in Luke. (laughs) Mark chapter 7, the first 23 verses. Very well-known story, and uh, let's just read it together. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, who had come from Jerusalem, gathered round Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food, with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God... And are holding to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, only your father and your mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban. That is a gift devoted to God then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciple asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. 
Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Shall we pray? Father, we've already thanked you for your word tonight and we now pray that your Holy Spirit will be gracious to us and lead us and guide us as we seek to uh, consider your word together. Again, we thank you for this opportunity of meeting together and we remember our brothers and sisters in many countries who are unable to do what we're doing now. And we just commit them to you and thank you for their bravery and their commitment and their faithfulness to you. So, Father, as we look at these passages, we just ask again that your Holy Spirit will open them up to us in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, if you'd like a title for the talk tonight, um, it's a bit of a weak one, but it's something that you might recognise. The heart of man's problem is the problem of man's heart. I'll say it again. The heart of man's problem is the problem of man's heart. I don't know if you remember the story of of Samuel when he anointed Saul. And uh, Samuel went along to Saul and he, uh, he was going to anoint the next king uh, or the first king, rather, of Israel. And Samuel went along, and God directed him to, uh, to I've forgotten his dad's name now, Saul's <laughs> dad's name, uh, you probably know. Anyway, he went along, and he, he had seven sons that he brought in front of Samuel, and God said, none of these, none of these, not that one, not that one, not that one. And Samuel said, have you got any more sons? And he said, well, there's one, but he's keeping the sheep. He's just a lad. So they got, the way that they got him, and um, God said, that's the one. You find this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And that verse then, it says this, the Lord, um, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now I did that story once at a school in Newtown in Trowbridge. Um, we did the assembly. And um, what I did, I got seven children out, and put them in height order. And then I asked the children <laughs> which one they would choose to be their leader. Hoping that they would say the tallest one. So that I could make the point of the story. What I didn't know was that the shortest one out in the front was the most popular boy in the school. <laughs> so they chose the little one. Uh, anyway, there we go. A friend of mine many years ago, he said this. He said, you can tell what's in a man's heart by the way he treats his dog. You can tell what's in a man's heart by the way he treats his dog. And a few years ago, I was down in Trowbridge Town Centre, and there was a, a, a man, uh, a homeless guy in the, in the doorway. And uh, 
somebody and he had a dog with him and somebody came up and gave him a packet of biscuits so I just stopped and watched for a little while uh, to see what would happen with this in mind and the homeless man opened the packet of biscuits took out the first biscuit and gave it to his dog (laughs) and I thought that man's got a good heart underneath that right let's look at the passages that we looked at then the perfect law of God in the Psalms the psalmists, they, they absolutely rave about the law of God. And we read a, 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 an example of that in Psalm 19. But the psalmist exalts and praises God law, God's law. If you don't believe me, read a, a Psalm 119 for yourselves when you get home. It'll only take you 20 minutes. <laughs> Psalm 119, the longest chapter of the Bible. But time and time again, the psalmist prays the law of God. I want to suggest this evening that the law of God has two purposes. The first purpose is that the law is to reveal God's nature, God's heart, and God's desires for us. That's the first reason for the perfect law of God. To reveal God's nature, God's heart, and God's desire for us. Now, in, for example, I'll give you two examples, okay, where the, the law reveals God's nature. And we read one of them in our, in our reading in Mark chapter 7. How do we know what God, want, what, what God wants us to be towards our parents, for example? In Mark 7, we read the command, or Jesus says, uh, he, he reads, Reminds the Pharisees and teachers of the Lord, come all the way up from Jerusalem. They had a habit of doing that. Come all the way up to Galilee because they heard about Jesus. And they were trying to prove that he was a false Messiah. Uh, Because Jesus was gaining a lot of followers, Jewish disciples. And even some of the leaders were beginning to believe in Jesus. And the, the teachers of the law and some of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees didn't like it. And so they would go out where Jesus was just to check him out. And this is what they were doing. They, they had come up from Jerusalem and they gathered around Jesus. And they criticised uh, the disciples of Jesus for not washing their hands according to the traditions of the elder. And uh, Jesus was pretty straightforward with them, wasn't he? He didn't, hang up, he didn't sort of mince words, did he? did he? He said, you hypocrites. You honour me, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We have to be so careful, don't we? This is a challenge to me. God knows what's in my heart and your heart. And Jesus goes on. You let go of the commands of God. Jesus wasn't saying they were hypocrites for not keeping God's law. He was saying he was criticising them because they nullified God's law. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. What he was telling them off for was because they were holding to traditions of men and not the teachings of God's law. Another example. So we know what God wants, the relationship God wants us to have, for example, children with their parents. I was talking to somebody in our fellowship a little while ago. I know parents can be a bit of a pain sometimes, can't they? And uh, she was saying 
that uh, her parents were getting uh, a, a little bit elderly. And uh, she was having to do more and more things for them. And she said, I've got my full-time job. I've got to take the dogs out for a walk. I've got this and that. And she said, no, 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 I've got to start doing these things for my parents. But then she said this. She said, but I'll never, ever give up on them. Because they are my parents after all. And I thought that was a reflection of God in her life. Because that, that reflects what God wants, to honour our parents. Just another brief example. How do we know what God's heart is for the poor, for example? Well, in Leviticus 19, you can read for it for yourself, there are some agricultural laws. And one of the laws was that they didn't reap to the edges of the field, and they didn't go over their grapes a second time, but to leave them for the poor and the alien. And so therefore, with that law that God introduced there, we know what God feels about the poor. Matthew 5.17, Jesus We read that Jesus did not come to abolish the law. The highest call of the law is to honour God. And the one who totally honoured God, of course, was Jesus. He kept the law perfectly. He fulfilled the law. The only human being who ever has. And because he kept God's law, he reflected God's heart on earth. The unseen God manifest in the flesh. Everything Jesus said about himself when he was here on earth came from the Old Testament, what we call the law. Remember the, the, uh, on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples who were going from Jerusalem uh, to Emmaus and they were pretty, pretty cut up about what had happened in Jerusalem. The one that they put their trust in had been crucified and was buried, and uh, they were pretty down about it. And they were walking from uh, Jerusalem. And uh, Jesus himself, we read, drew near and went with them. And he said, what's that? What's the matter? Why are you looking so sad? And they said, well, haven't you heard about the things that happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, what things? I love the questions that God asks and what Jesus asks. Jesus knew exactly what had happened in Jerusalem. But he asked a question. The first question that God asked was, Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was. He knows where you and I are. But he still asks that question. Where are you? Where am I? And then they said, well, they poured out their hearts. And we read that their faces were downcast. And then he explains to them from starting with Moses and all the prophets, things concerning himself. Things concerning himself. So the purpose, the first purpose of the law is to reveal God's heart and his purposes for us. We were reminded earlier in our service, weren't we, that things are not really getting better in our world. And I think the further away we get away from God's rules and God's laws, the worse we get. Because if, if we're not obeying God, if our relationship with God is not right, then our relationship with other people is not right either. And we see a lot of broken relationships and things going on which shouldn't be happening. So the first purpose of the law is to reveal God's heart and God's purposes for us. The second purpose of the law 
is to reveal man's heart. Okay? Is to reveal who we really are. Now, I love the book of Romans. And the book of Romans explains in detail what the purpose of God's law is for us. And uh, again, you've, please, when you read the book of Romans, read it in its entirety. Don't take little verses out here and there because you could, uh, you could, you could sort of uh, make anything out of it. The whole book of Romans in detail explains that through the law we have been, we've become conscious of sin. How would we know that it's wrong to do things if it wasn't for the law? God has, uh, God has given us the law so that we become conscious of sin. Romans 1 to 8, it, the summary of it basically is, explains that whether we're Jews, circumcised, whether we're not Jews, uncircumcised, uh, the Jews or the Gentiles, so whether we're rich or poor, tall or short, <laughs> We are all guilty before God. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We read about Abraham in Romans. He was not under the, he was, um, not under the law because the law hadn't been uh, introduced uh, when Abraham was alive. Yet he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So how then... The law tells us that we're sinners, that we've fallen short of God's standard and God's heart and God's purpose. How then can we have any hope of forgiveness or peace with God? It's beyond us, isn't it? Because you know, and I know, if we're honest with ourselves, there is no way, well, as I'll speak for myself, there's no way that I can keep the law perfectly. No way. We have all fallen short of God's standard. And that's what sin is, just falling short of the standard of God that God has set. Paul goes on to explain in Romans that there is a righteousness apart from the law revealed, hallelujah, by faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. All those things that we read about in Mark 7, Jesus became those things. Those things were put on him, those evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All those things were laid on Jesus on the cross and he bore them for us. Paul warns us that if we have a righteousness apart from the law, he says, do we therefore nullify the law of God? He says, never. We uphold the law. Even in the new covenant. It says this. I will put my law in their minds. And write it on their hearts. God's law is eternal. It's eternal. It doesn't change. It's just the way that we earn our righteousness that has changed. Because we cannot keep the law. Mark 7. We all have a heart problem. Things within us that are unclean. God knows your heart and God knows my heart. The first step to peace with God is to acknowledge that we need forgiveness. That we've fallen short of God's standard. If we confess our sins, the Bible says, he is faithful and just 
and will forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man looks on the outward appearance. The teachers of the law in Mark 7 try to give a good outward show, a good outward impression to those around. Again, it's a warning to me and to us. You know, sometimes we like to give a good impression. But God looks on our hearts. When God looks on my heart, God looks on your heart, what does he see? Does he see your own good works? Or does he see that you have trusted in, in, in the finished, complete work of Jesus on the cross? Through faith in him? If you've done that, then he sees the righteousness of Jesus in your life. He doesn't see your shortcomings and your sins. They've been washed in the blood of Jesus. A question comes out, doesn't it? What must I do to be saved from myself, from my sinful heart? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So just a few thoughts about God's law, the purposes of it. God's law reveals God's heart and his purposes for us. We have failed miserably. It also reveals man's heart. We need a heart transplant, each one of us. We need a new heart. And God has promised that. I'll put a new heart within you. I'll write my law on your mind and in your hearts. I just pray that these thoughts will be um, of benefit to us this evening. Thank you, brother. Amen.